Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Britonology. I'm Milo Edwards and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Nate Bethay. Hello, it's a lovely day in London. It's uh, it's warm-ish and sunny, unusually yeah. sunny. Mm. Cycled in today. Especially sunny. Uh, I, I've seen some really, really strange, incredibly British things in recent trips. Oh, no. <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> oh dear. The other day I was cycling in and I saw a guy who legitimately looked like Karl Marx. Except imagine kind of hench, yeah, like jacked He's Karl Marx from Highgate. Uh, he Sorry. was unloading. He was using a um, what we'd call a dolly cart to unload a truck uh, in front of a Sainsbury's local. But he had like fully white hair, but like the blown out kind of pyramid of hair and the big beard mm. and everything like that. Absolutely, like dolly full of linen coats. Exactly, um. just jacked Karl Marx. Um, <laughs> wild stuff, man. So just call Marx. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a couple other things too. Uh, you know, invariably this time of year, you just, I, I've said it on numerous other shows. I've been on to the point where I can't even remember if I'm repeating myself that uh, mm-hmm. when people start coming out and more people start cycling and stuff, it feels like London's AI is glitching because so much more shit is just kind of thrown at you all over the place <laughs> as opposed to between lockdown and cold weather, like yeah. folks were kind of staying off the road, so... Yeah, and as we know, Britain is Britain is kind of like an RPG. There are only so many faces that it has, so you start seeing people <laughs> yeah, over and over. Exactly, again. They just yeah. keep repeating over and over. Same again. guys. Um, we do love that. Well, it's funny um, you should mention something involving the same guys. The same guy, indeed. Um, because uh, today we are going to talk about the Cray Twins, famous. British fucking gangsters. Uh, Dave Courtney's gay dads, the Grey Twins. Yeah, exactly. They they love um, their moms. They never hurt any, but I mean, uh, well, they did hurt some people, but uh, yeah, they. But now one who didn't deserve it. Exactly. Um. Yeah. Exactly. Uh. That is. Uh, I'm glad that you you're aware of the uh. They loved their mom thing about the craze. They they looked after their mom. Um, yeah, you've mentioned that to me before, and also we talked about it with Dave Courtney with uh, oh, yeah, specifically yeah, yeah. on the first episode of Britonology, where the guy tried to say he never hurt anyone and then had to stop himself because he realized that is emphatically not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never hurt anyone that wasn't a wrong one. Um, he only hurts nonces. Exactly. Um, so we got to watch a film featuring bisexual icon Tom Hardy basically yeah. playing both roles of both yeah. Ronnie and Reggie Cray. Yeah, they were filmed identical in, twins. Filmed in what looked like right next door to our old studio uh, in and around here in Whitechapel. Mm. And yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, well, I'm not going to say it was a good movie, but I do think <laughs> that there was a certain degree of high budget attention to detail in mm. trying to recreate London of the time. And uh, yeah, it was a film about geezers. A film about geezers, geezers, slags, cunts, mugs, all the all the different shades of guy that you can get. And um, you know what's what's important to remember here is that this is a true story. The film might have been fictionalized, et cetera, et cetera, but it is a true story of a thing that used to exist, which is a sort of geezer mafia in London of uh of guys running protection rackets, casinos, et cetera. Pabanostra. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just our, um, you know, the the forebears of a kind of Cockney legend of hard mm. men running London, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, uh, as as the film is called, legend, uh, legends, exactly. People do love. I mean, we'll get into like the the general British public opinions about the craze because I think the way that the British people relate to like organized crime in the East End is fascinating. Um, but on the subject of uh stressing that it's a true story i actually i saw this film when it came out in the cinema in moscow and um i went with my uh flatmate Lyosha, who 
he'd been to university in the UK, so he spoke really good English. We were sat there, kind of. He's like muddling through with understanding the film, despite the inscrutable accents and slang. And then at some point, we we're kind of like chatting in the cinema, and it became apparent to me that he didn't realize that these were like real guys. He was like, oh, this is like a fun story. I'm like, no, no, this is all like, this is all like real. And they were friends with like half of like all the British celebrities of the time. Um, Soviet Union was correct. Britain is debased country. That's right. Exactly. To be um, fair to your friend, I also struggled with the accents. About five minutes into the film, I, I turned to Milo and said, could we please turn the subtitles on? Because <laughs> much like the first time I saw Train Spotting, I was understanding what was going on, but there were a lot of, let's call them nuances being lost on me mm. because it was just so fucking cockney. And also yeah. my, my hearing's not as good as it used to be. And so you mm. combine that with, uh, with, with some, some deeply, deeply English accents and I just, I struggle with it. He's gone a bit deaf and now geezers are out of his hearing range. <laughs> I transmit at a certain frequency. <laughs> frequency <laughs> of crime. Yeah. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on deeply geezer wavelength because Nate knows this, but I picked up my car this morning. Um, and of course, this is a deeply geezer experience dealing with uh, car dealers. Used car dealers Used in Used car dealers. Oh, absolutely. In Romford, the heart yeah. of like geezer country these days. Um, this is like the people who live in Romford now are like the people who lived in the East End in the time when this was set. This is kind of like, I mean, as, as we know, working in the East End, the East End has changed a lot uh, since the days of yeah. uh, geezers who will uh, have a punch up in the pub. They, they are still here, but in smaller numbers, obviously, because mm. the demographics have changed a lot. Tower Hamlets as a borough is still majority white but like that's because there's so much of a mix of people in the borough but like yeah because tower hamlets includes like whopping and like other places that aren't like yeah. aren't really what you think of necessarily but is the my experience in places like shadwell is that when you go there uh you will encounter lots of really really old cockneys mm-hmm. and basically it feels like the majority of people there are bengali yeah uh, so that was in the 1960s not the case um but Mm. Then this thing called Essex happened. Yeah, and absolutely. everyone moved out to Essex, and the the story of Milo begins there. In America, you had white flight, and here we had geezer flight. That was <laughs> <laughs> that's the truest, the truest. It's more form. air. It's more free space for crime. Yeah, um, it's too crowded. So, just in general about the... I mean, I'm not going to pretend I know loads about the craze. I'm just on their Wikipedia now, and I noticed that their, the picture on their Wikipedia is a portrait of them that was done by David Bailey who's like a really famous British photographer. So I'm kind of, this is, this is the kind of the thing about the craze, which I think the film gets across a bit, but like, yeah, there's the way in which there were like everyone at sort of the top of British society, or at least like kind of celebrities were like, just very happy to like hobnob with them. Like Barbara Windsor, who died recently, who's like a very famous actress of that period was like huge mates with the craze. It does strike me that, and correct me if I'm off base here, that there's a sort of desire for authenticity that British people mm. feel this kind of when they encounter people who aren't just to use a Britishism, just tedious cunts like themselves. Mm. Uh, they, they kind of gravitate towards that. I think that, and it manifests itself in different kinds of neuroses about authenticity in one way or the other, whether it's mm. uh, call it the sort of symptom of the larger fbpe disease kind of like <laughs> manifesting that desire of wanting to be something else or wanting to identify with something else the craze show up in your pub to intimidate you with a load of golden retrievers and they're like yeah we're having a wolf-a-rendum <laughs> we run this pub now yeah exactly I, i'm just imagining fbpe ronnie cray just like oh god <laughs> 
This country is better in than out. I can't even fucking do it, man. <laughs> I don't know what that accent was. I can't even fucking do it. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Invariably, it's called a fucking Portuguese custard tart. <laughs> don't like it as a door. Yeah, I mean, but then at the same time, too, you'll, you'll encounter this with people, you know, there is that fixation, I think, with a lot of, of British expats who wind up in the United States, for example, that mm. like they're really into the stuff that gives America, call it sort of scare quotes, authenticity of music, culture, yeah, yeah, et cetera, yeah. and that kind of a thing. And so it doesn't surprise me that people would want to gravitate towards something with, let's call it like notoriety, you know, in oh, the sense absolutely. of just sort of seeing the authentic item, if you will. Yeah. Here are people who are absolutely criminals who are violent. Mm. but not in a like slasher film way like they're just they're they're gangsters and i mean mm. i don't know if you had i couldn't tell you if you had a similar thing but i think you kind of did in america mm. with like for example frank sinatra frank sinatra being friends with like yeah. sam Giancana and stuff like that it, and i'm reading this here apparently they hung out with frank sinatra as well well what you have to understand is that Frank Sinatra was he was Sicilian, so like he's, mm. those are all his people. Hey, whoa! Like in a huge, huge way. Man had blue mm. eyes, but he was Sicilian, uh, and so as a result, there's just this. Um, but th- but there were similar things too. I mean, one of the big conspiracies around JFK was that like he was friends with Frank Sinatra and Sam Giancana and like dated a woman that also was dating Sam Giancana and stuff like that. And Sam Giancana was a Sicilian gangster who was like a big guy in Chicago. That kind of a thing. So, like, you did have a similar phenomenon, but I think that because of the fact that the UK is a smaller country and that everything is so London centric, Mm. you know, it's sort of everyone who's doing shit is here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely like we want to make Birmingham happen in our hearts. We really want to make Birmingham happen, (laughs) but like for the time being, this country is very London centric. There was similar. I think there were similar sort of. kind of geezer vibes crime rackets up and up and down the country i mean yeah. you get a bit more of that in kind of like guy Ritchie's a bit more interested in that or like layer cake where there's lots of stuff about like uh but actually both guy Ritchie and that film layer cake are very like they they always bring in scousers for some reason they're always about it. whenever they're getting someone down from out of london it's always liverpool yeah um, fair um and uh definitely Actually, when I was like when I was a teenager, Liverpool was like really notoriously bad for gang crime. It was like people were getting shot a lot in Liverpool. Um, but it seems fine now. Haven't yeah, really, don't knows? really hear anything about Liverpool, so I assume it's fine. But then again, I mean, similarly, Glasgow had its own sort of, as I understand it, mm. crime reputation. But that was less an organized crime thing. Although there were sort of brackets and the mob yeah. and shit like that it was just francis begbie but there also was, was uh, like yeah you know this is the random stabbings and then you think of something like peaky blinders that is birmingham and similarly yeah. like crime shit mm. you know social dysfunction incredible poverty and just like a bunch of geezers yeah. so yeah well it's like like everything in the uk everything's so localized i mean again this comes up in the film but like how like the craze are running east london but the richardsons who are another real gang who existed are running south london um and there's like a constant sort of turf war about if they if any of them show up in a pub north of the river the craze are furious about it um uh and uh yeah the richardsons had this guy who doesn't really come up much in the film but uh this guy called mad frankie fraser who's another like incredibly famous british gangster that people like to talk about in these kind of like oh frankie yeah he was all right terms uh and they called him mad frankie fraser for a reason yeah i was gonna say Um, uh nominative determinism uh oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, to mr and mrs frankie fraser a son mad Mad. (laughs) well i mean i remember um 
hearing that name and yeah, you know, hearing stories about that being the case too, that, well, I mean, there's the whole scandal, isn't there? That like, there was a ton of organized crime in London and there was also the, the police were famously corrupt. And so, you know, that was kind of a, a, a breeding ground for that stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like in the United States, you had the exact same thing going on. Yeah. It's just, everyone was Italian. Uh, but it's the same sort of thing. You know, you had the, the New York mob and the Chicago mob and the mm. Las Vegas being run openly by the mob and stuff like that. Yeah. And that changed in the 70s and particularly in the 80s. These guys started to get prosecuted. The big one was uh, in the US at least, and I don't know what it's like here, mm. was that because the mob got involved with, with uh, drug trafficking, Right, you know that had been kind of like a thing that wasn't they didn't really touch, and then they made they realized how much money they could make from it. Mm. Thing was, post the start of the war on drugs under Reagan, these guys that used to be facing five, ten year sentences for whatever dumb bullshit they were doing mm. as mobsters were now looking at forty, fifty, sixty years in prison for drug mm. sentencing and stuff like that. And so a lot of people turned and flipped and stuff, and the mob la- lost all mm. of its power relative to what it had previously had. It still exists, but you know. Mm. If you think about like the level of crime that they get up to in in the Sopranos in terms of like yeah you know they're not exactly like <laughs> mostly de- bullying a guy who owns a sports store yeah say bull- yeah yeah defrauding a sports store stealing mm. some cars and selling them to Italians yeah, uh, yeah bringing actual Italians over to do physical crimes for them a little mm. a little stuff here and there with some front businesses pushing lobistics yeah getting uh getting getting construction companies to put you know no show jobs on the books for them and stuff like that mm. very small scale stuff compared to like running the gambling center of america you know so it's it's it it, it, it did exist in the 60s in america and like it doesn't to any great degree anymore mm. no exactly and then yeah so basically like before we get into the film itself kind of the craze were like big in the kind of 50s and 60s at the end of the 60s they both went to prison for life uh ronnie died in prison in 1995 and reggie died in 2000 he got let out on compassionate release like a few weeks earlier um so that's kind of their period of uh activity yeah so the film starts out um uh reggie is uh out on the town being a gangster ronnie is in uh, a secure mental unit because he is paranoid schizophrenic um and uh, Reggie manages to have a psychiatrist bullied into uh, declaring him fit for release, um, during which time he has begun uh, trying to charm a local cockney lass, Francis, um, whose mother doesn't approve of Reggie because he is a gangster. Um, but he insists that he's just a club owner. Exactly. And uh, he, he does various uh, romantic gestures like asking her if he can suck on the candy she's currently sucking on yeah uh, at one point climbing, <laughs> this is cockney kink at one point climbing up the uh the the rain spout or the 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 gutter spout to uh propose to her mm. um taking her to the club uh leaving her at the table with one of his henchmen for a moment while he punches a guy in the face yeah. and then come <laughs> comes back to show her an evening and have like a sort of mock philosophical conversation about the the center mm. of the world is wherever you want it to be and so on and so forth yeah, so it's just it's just got to go and punch a guy in the face. You know that happens sometimes. It's a little bit of business, a little bit of pleasure at once. It happens to the best of us. Um, yeah, there's kind of a running thing throughout the film where there's this one guy uh, that uh, works for them, Jack. Uh, yeah, Jack, Jack the Hat, Jack McVitie, who um, is always doing something that pisses off Reggie, and Reggie always gives him a cigarette and then punches him in the face. Yeah, um, which is a fun, fun little visual gag. 
Um, but the, the third time he winds up uh, physically accosting him, a slightly more serious, a slightly less funny incident. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. So um, he's dating. He's dating Francis. Uh, they get married, um, and he then gets uh, he gets put in prison for. Well, actually, this happens before they get married, but he gets yeah. put in prison for this uh, like previous thing that he was on a warrant for, which they don't really explain what yeah, it was. Yeah, it sounded like he he had been like the sentence had been suspended, but they decided to unsuspend it, so mm. he wound up having to serve the last six months of his sentence in prison. Mm. Um, so he goes to prison. The cops beat him up. He then manages to fake, you know, grovel, mm. snatch a pair of handcuffs from the cop, handcuff him to the bars and beat the fuck out of him. Yeah. Uh, earning the respect of the prisoners that was already there to the begin with and then yeah. getting him beaten to complete shit. Uh, yeah. However, you know, he's, he's established dominance in prison this way because he's Absolutely. Reggie Cray. Becoming the, the alpha in prison. Again, that that was one of the things where I kind of wondered, like how how sort of accurate that was on the basis that like the film sort of simultaneously is like, oh yeah, the craze of these like notorious criminals, like everyone knows who they are, they like run London or whatever. But also that like Reggie Cray feels like he has to establish dominance when he gets in prison. When it's like, well, presumably not. Yeah, like, and also it's one of those things where you know, particularly back then no matter how famous a celebrity gangster you were, it's probably mm. safe to assume that if, if you pissed off the cops in prison enough, they'd probably murder you. Like, yeah. they kind of could, but mm. uh, it's just one of those things where it's a film, you know, they yeah. take creative license. How many flat-nosed geezers you got in? Exactly. Well, <laughs> That's that was all that matters. That was the top thing, trumps. is that he had 501 flat-nosed geezers, uh. and they, they, just, they, they couldn't take on an army like that. If it had been 500 or yeah. fewer, they wouldn't have thought twice about yeah. murdering him, you know? That's what happened to Dave. They couldn't, exactly. they couldn't handle a man with that much power. Exactly. You know, it's just it the magic number. Yeah. Italian-sized geezer element. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Dave Courtney <laughs> and his battalion of geezers. Um, uh, yeah, so he gets out of uh, prison. Francis makes him promise her that he is not going to go back to prison. Um, and uh, But meanwhile, while he's been in there, uh, Ron, his twin brother, who is still a paranoid schizophrenic, has been doing some uh, interesting things with the business. He tries um, a hand to stand up. Um, oh, yeah. Bombs it pretty hard. Mm. Scares away everybody from the club because he's a psycho. Mm. Um, wants to build a utopian city in Nigeria called Enugu. Yeah. Um, I don't doing know some if, real like uh, North FC shit. Um, I have no idea if that's actually historically accurate. Like if he had some harebrained scheme along those lines, but I don't know. I I think there's definitely it's sort of implied that uh, he had endless harebrained schemes. Yeah, um, fair. I so mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't know whether that particular one was true or whether that was more meant to give a general sense of what he was like. I would just say that uh, that uh, whom among us cannot relate to the idea of having to chase after a completely unhinged sibling who's constantly getting themselves into scrapes? I know nothing about this. <laughs> Yeah, no one, uh, no one knows anything about this. Um, there's a bit I think which comes earlier in the film than this, where um, they're, they're they're in a sort of minor turf war with the Richardson gang, and the Richardsons suggest that they have like a little a meeting to call a truce at this pub called the Pig and Whistle, which I found funny in and of itself, um, which is supposedly on neutral territory. I'm not sure they don't really say where the pub is, but um, and the Cray twins show up, and it's like. The Richardsons aren't there, but they've just sent some guys to like beat them up. Um, and then uh, Ronnie makes a show as though he has two shotguns in his coat pocket and manages to walk out. And then they say they're going to beat up Reggie. 
uh, and he is talking about, all right, fine, let's have a fight then. And then uh, Ronnie comes in with two hammers um, and begins setting about everyone in the bar. Um, they have a fight. The Cray Twins win. Um, uh, during which time, though, they refer to the guys that the Richardson sent as a bunch of nonces. <laughs> um, <laughs> which um, did amuse me. I thought, you know, it's true. Um, much like uh, <laughs> the life of the craze does have some handshake memes with uh, being on Twitter. So, you know. Fair, yeah. I mean, well, being Flash, calling people nonces, uh, one person being decidedly better at posting than the other. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like there are some similarities there. Absolutely. Um, what if there were four identical twins and they were all t- the trash future guys? <laughs> well, there's actually five of us, but oh, yeah. we've forgotten. One can't be identical. <laughs> a fraternal twin, Alice. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. And so when, when uh, Reggie gets out of prison, uh, him and Ron have this big confrontation at the club because it's Friday night and there's barely anyone in there. And uh, it turns out that, yeah, Ron has scared away all the customers and, like, extorted loads of money, embezzled loads of money, rather, out of the business. And so the business is all in trouble. They have a big fist fight um, in the bar. I don't know how they shot Tom Hardy having a fist fight with, with himself. himself. Yeah. Um, technically quite impressive. Um, but it's sort of played for laughs. It's, like, really... Uh, like there's sort of, like... Uh, there's a bit where Ronnie is, like, grabbing his balls. He's like, oh, come on, Ron, not like that. Um, yeah, yeah, there is a certain level of ah, uh, the boys are at it again, as mm. opposed to well, I mean, here are two insane people who could absolutely kill each other. And uh, yeah. Reggie ends the fight by breaking a champagne bottle over Ronnie's head. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it um, it it is not good. Pretty classic, yeah. Breaking a champagne bottle over someone's head. Yeah. During the fight, actually, one of the characters, one of the guys who works with them, I can't remember. I think they call him Big Pat. Um, whose character is just that he is very large. Um, he's like, I'm going to separate them. They're going to fucking kill each other. And they're like, no, you've got to let him. you got to let him do this. It's funny you should mention Big Pat because Big Pat is bald and big and is the doorman at their club. And I, as I said to Milo as we were watching this, this seems to suggest that uh, that there's just an archetype of Dave Courtney that occurs throughout history. <laughs> that whatever your crime operation, there will always yeah. be a bald doorman who is just a big guy. Yeah, and uh, that's all you need. Except that Big Pat is like double the size of Dave Courtney. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Dave Courtney is wide, but he's not tall. He's not particularly tall, is he? And uh, yeah, Big Pat no. absolutely is. So we have yeah. yeah you have the 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 henchmen like Albie and Big mm. Pat and yeah most of the henchmen look a bit like Brian Ferry or other members of Roxy Music <laughs> apart from Big Pat who is like the gigantic bald guy <laughs> who looks like he could crush your head like a melon yeah absolutely um, everyone else just looks like they they lacked vitamins as children is it, yeah is uh, Albie is the guy who's like Reggie's main like fixer right the guy who says like you just you just stabbed a guy in a room full of people are you fucking mad yeah that guy I think he's I, the one who I was thinking of. It looks like Brian Ferry. Yeah. Well, then there's also there's the Scottish guy too, isn't there? Oh yeah. There's two guys who are like skinny, mm. just sort of like leathery skin looking guys, and oh, one of them basically the same. One yeah. of them Scottish and one of them's not. Yeah. Yeah. There's quite a. It's quite a diverse gang of geezers from different parts of the United Kingdom in this. I, again, I don't know how accurate that is. I mean, I presume they're mostly based on real people because like Big Pat is clearly supposed to be Northern. He's got like a Yorkshire accent. Um. 
Yeah, that's true. To be honest with you, you Which you're is not the voice I did, but um. <laughs> you're better at uh, at picking up on that than I am. Oftentimes, when it gets super Cockney, unless like there's a, a very very obvious Northern vowel drop, like mm. I sometimes cannot tell them all apart. I'm getting better at it. I mean, I'm better at it in the sense now that when someone points something out, like uh, the the guy who grows the enormous vegetables who lives in Oxfordshire has kind of a West Country accent. Oh yeah, someone yeah, asked yeah. me once, like Gerald, what the, what's what the face? fuck yeah. is that accent? I'm like, honestly, mm-hmm. that's. That's West Country-ish. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I imagine a guy that old, it's possible he might have been born and raised in Oxfordshire and just yes, talks that old way. Old school West Oxfordshire, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like rural Oxfordshire, like proper Oxfordshire types. It's like, I mean, yeah. So there's I, lots of like posh home counties people who have houses in Oxfordshire and they commute to London or whatever, but like proper, proper Oxfordshire, it's like, all right. Yeah. And, and obviously like Scouse is pretty distinct, so you can tell. And Geordie's pretty well, distinct too, because I can't understand any of it. So Geordie, Geordie is quite something. Yeah, that is. Um, it's it's hard to do as well because I think Geordie is so they have so much of their own slang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and like ways of like they call cigarettes tabs and stuff like that. And it's just very like the way the whole way of speaking is like it's it's like a proper dialect, Geordie. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, there were some. There were some good bits of Cockney slang in this, but I can't remember now. I think they cut, they didn't put too much rhyming slang in it because I think they thought for an international audience it would just be too confusing. I do appreciate that, as far as I'm aware, Tom Hardy did not grow up with Cockney family or speaking with a Cockney accent, but he managed to do a much better job than. Uh, yeah, I don't know where Tom Hardy's from, actually. Yeah, me neither. I don't I know, know much he's, about He's it. English, but I don't know where so. he's from. And uh, he, he did do quite a good the job sake of that. Let's professionalism. Let's, let's open. Uh, let's mid episode recording page. open Wikipedia. Absolutely. I feel like that's the, that's the name. We don't have to leave everyone guessing. Oh, would you look at that? His real name is Edward mm-hmm. Hardy. Mm, Ed Hardy. Ed Hardy. Yeah, well, he couldn't have that. I didn't that. know he was in Black Hawk Down. Oh, yeah. He's very, very young in that. I think he... he um, Orlando Bloom oh, Prince, in London. So. The private who falls off the thing, who's very, very young too, but I can't remember what... He was born in Hammersmith. So I think it is fair to say that uh, he is not... Um, yeah, it was. It brought up in East Sheen and attended Tower House School. Yeah, this is not a this is not a Cockney man. Yeah, for uh, um, for the, the the sake of explaining this to our non-British listeners, uh, East Hammersmith. Sheen is like well, because where he actually grew up is like bougie. It's like that's like Richmond Park. That's sort of down where like Zach Goldsmith lives there. Hammersmith is in West London, so yeah. It, to for the for the purpose of definition, because this was something I didn't really get until I spent time in the UK. Cockney almost invariably means East London, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Um, would you consider someone who is just like extreme South London geezer to be Cockney or no? In in the broader sense of the word, like so technically speaking, Cockney means born within the sound of the bow bells. So you have to be in like quite a small area of East London. But like in general sense, kind of London geezer is generally considered Cockney. So be it like North or South London, it's sort of like kind of the same. The culture is the same. It's the same slang. It's the same shit. Um, but it's like kind of the East End is sort of the traditional um uh vibe which is basically where we are right now we're literally on brick lane like you yeah. don't get more yeah 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 obnoxious it's pretty, London pretty cockney where we around are, yeah. here i don't know if you can hear the bow bells even from here that is a good point but, i mean though. this is definitely like proper co- i mean like like we were saying most of the film looked like it was shot around this yeah, where our old studio here. on um on ashfield street mm. uh was the buildings around there Genuinely, it could have been shot around some of those side streets because, like, it, mm. it's it absolutely still looks like that today. Like, if if you're yeah, gonna yeah. pick a spot with cobblestone streets and like flat fronted, either like Victorian houses or maybe even older than that, that like are just covered mm. in soot. Yes, that is what it looked like. <laughs> absolutely, like, yeah. genuinely, there were a couple of shots from like I think I have walked down that street before at the old studio. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
and uh yeah so yeah that's uh that's sort of the general the general taxonomy so i mean like the richardsons are like they're like south london but they're still kind of cockneys in the in the broader sense of the word um so then we get this bit where they're approached by uh like uh angelo bruno of the philadelphia crime family i'm reading who is approaching them on behalf of maya lansky um who was a Jewish gangster? Correct. Yes, and I don't know if they really call that mafia or not. Um, um they would they would call it the, the the Jewish mafia, the Jewish mob. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That, that absolutely. But yeah, um, Meyer Lansky, um, was he, he weird because you brought this up when we were watching it. Lansky was definitely involved in the mob in the '30s, but he was old by this point. But like a lot of these guys yeah. had stuck around. Obviously, Capone was dead. So yeah, he approaches them and. Uh, he basically is offering them to front them the money to do, to have like an underground gambling ring in exchange for like 50-50 split of the profits. Um, well, he, he offers them worse terms, but Reggie negotiates with him, puts up his extremely hard man front, and uh, Bruno yeah. is impressed by him. So, yeah. And then uh, there's an interesting scene where, uh, where Ronnie basically talks about uh fucking dudes yeah because the the italian guy is saying like uh, hey whoa you should come to philadelphia get anything you want italian here girl, pasta yeah. girls unless it's like spaghetti girls i don't know what else the guys I think want the joke he was making when he said spaghetti and meatballs he's talking about like a like a hot italian chick i don't think he was specifically talking about oh spaghetti right, and okay meatballs. yeah 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 you know. yeah and some to be meatballs fair, and some spaghetti you know what i'm saying oh i see okay yeah uh, yeah the chick with balls <laughs> that's right <laughs> got lots of hot trans women <laughs> yeah you're gonna love it <laughs> and what's a fucking trans woman then you gotta come to philadelphia so i mean and, and one thing that might be slightly lost in the subtext here is that um in the american mob if you were gay that was like a death sentence like, yeah, there yeah. was um, and and it still was in Sopranos era. That's like a plot line in the Sopranos. Yeah, in yeah. Sopranos, but especially in the um, the, the I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. The uh, but the American mob boss who got murdered that sort of led to um, uh, John Gotti becoming the head of the Gambino mm. crime family or establishing dominance over the mob in New York in the eighties. Yeah. One of he was he was killed in a mob hit, and the rumor was that he was gay. And so, like that, absolutely. Like, if if you were, and they found out, you'd die. So the so the the notion of Ronnie admitting that is uh, is shocking to a fucking guy from Philly. You know, he likes broads. You don't like yeah. fucking guys. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, to be honest, I think the most the most shocking thing you could offer a Cockney gangster is spaghetti and meatballs because I can't imagine that either of them would have had any idea what that was. <laughs> I can remember like my my mum talking about growing up in like the 50s and 60s in the uh, who's like my mom's parents are both like extremely cockney and she's like she's like i didn't have pasta until i was an adult yeah and like she's like i remember she was like she said that her mom bought spaghetti once like my grandmother from the supermarket and had no idea what to do with it she was just like snapping it into pieces and putting it in soup my like, mom's grandfather was a my great-grandfather was a jewish guy from woolwich or her grandmother was a woman from fucking norwich and her mom grew up in Norwich and like then married an American guy and moved to uh moved to America. And one time my mom tried to get they had had pizza at school mm. and tried to get her mom to make pizza and she just described it to her and she said what my mom came up with was basically toast with ketchup and like a slice of cheddar cheese with just like ground beef on top. She <laughs> and I was just like imagine to me like nothing could be more indicative of that generation than me like 
describe pizza from experience and what mm. they come back with is just sort of like how an English person would conceive <laughs> of pizza. It's a fucking pizza, mate. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's bread in it. It's cheese. It's smarter. What more do you want? Um, yeah, cursed British approximations of food. Um, but yeah, and so yeah, Ronnie goes into all these details about like the different the different kinds and ethnicities of men. He is fucked. Yes, exactly. And to 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 uh, to shock Mr. Bruno, but then Mr. Bruno says basically, I'm. I'm impressed. He's a guy being gay. I salute. I salute, Maron. You have the balls to admit it. Hey, let's toast to being gay. Yeah, Yeah. it's basically that. (laughs) We're not really exaggerating. It's very funny. (laughs) Look at this guy. Look at this big gay guy. And there is like, like, they don't really beat around the bush in that stuff. And I don't know if this is what Ronnie was like in real life, but there's a scene where Francis, Reggie's love interest and later wife, meets Ronnie uh, for the first time and he's living in like a you call it a caravan, wouldn't you? Like we'd say, like yeah, a trailer yeah, yeah. or like a camper. Yeah, a and um, and then a dude steps out uh, of the thing, and um, and then he he just goes I'm homosexual. Like it just yeah. it just goes right in. Like he's he's very very mm. overtly in your face about like I am gay. Um, yeah, and I don't know how true to life that is, but obviously like that's part of the mythos is that he was. Yeah, I don't know. I think that um. Uh, being, gay was, being gay was still illegal in the UK. I mean, in the fifties, certainly. In this, I think it was nineteen sixty-seven. They decriminalized it. Yeah, um, but you know, obviously, like they uh, maybe it was later than that. it was in the sixties, I believe. But like they didn't normalize the age of consent in the UK because mm. it was higher for gay men than for for heterosexuals. Uh, they didn't normalize it. I want to say until like the fucking two thousands. So like, I think it. Yeah. I'm not sure it was that late, but yeah. They, and it was well, yeah, it was a higher age of consent. Yeah, there yeah, was yeah, all yeah, kinds yeah. of like yeah. fucked up laws. America is different in the sense that like this was back when it forced British politicians to be more cool because like Tory politicians were always getting caught uh, like having sex in bushes in the park. Um, <laughs> yeah, so if I, that was my favorite Winston Churchill story about the uh, like like one of his ministers had been caught like having gay sex in Hyde Park. It was like February or something, and then supposedly the guy comes in and tells Churchill this, and then Churchill's just like, wasn't it dreadfully cold last night? And he's like, uh, yes, it was the coldest night of the year, and he's like, it's just proud to be British, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hmm. Yes, I mean, um, I, I have always been taken aback by, if you look at like the social mores and such, and the way that like people were you know, regularly tormented and outed as being mm. gay and like prosecuted for it. You look at someone like Alan Turing yeah, yeah, yeah. and something like that. But then, you know, you also, you read the memoirs of somebody like Robert Graves and he mm. talks about like anyone of Graves' generation who grew up in the same class as Graves, like we'll have a story you know, about going to public school and like being, you know, in some kind of a homosexual relationship. Like that was just sort of a thing that happened. Uh, and this is weird because like, that is kind of a stereotype, I think, that people mm. who know stuff about, not British people who know stuff about British culture have. Um, and I think in a way it's weird because I don't know if they're, put it this way, you wouldn't have been able to be a mob guy uh, and be openly gay in America in the 60s. Mm. And a lot, I mean, obviously because of the fact that like, well, a lot of these guys like came from communities that were super religious and stuff mm. like that, but also like the whole macho shit too. I mean, the problem is the Italians. Uh, <laughs> it's not what I'm actually saying, but I mean, more, more, more than anything else, like the idea of there being a gay gangster, uh, it's not that it's unthinkable. It's just that in that, you know, the same time period in America, 
Yeah. I'm not aware of anything that was... So according to, uh, supposedly in his own words, Ronnie Crane is, in his various like books and interviews, has said that he's bisexual, but he was married to three women um, at various points, all while he was in, in, um, in uh, prison um, in Broadmoor. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I suspect that it probably wasn't like super open. I mean, very much the way they portray it in the film is that like he enjoys telling people it because like he knows that he's such a psycho that they won't say anything about it like that his whole like they're like well you 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 can't really be homophobic around this guy because he will just hit you with a hammer yeah exactly (laughs) well i mean i was thinking about certainly one way of doing gay rights it's just interesting too because this is a thing that i've noticed um that oftentimes when they'll do these big budget big studio biopics of people who are gay or bisexual or whatever it's rare that they're actually ever depicted in any kind of like love interest like actual physical contact you know what i mean like like he goes around this entire film just being like i'm homosexual but never Mm. kisses a man never has there's no like love any kind of scene like he has these like hanger on boys but like he basically yeah. all it's sort of implied that he's shagging Teddy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but like they just don't. Aside from him lighting their cigarettes, there's literally nothing. Yeah. Um, hilariously, I saw the Elton John. The sex wasn't invented in Britain until yeah, exactly. 1970. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the reason, the reason why <laughs> even gay sex was just like you strip down to your pants, you have a little cuddle, you light a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You quiz each other on Greek and Roman mythology, and that's it. That's being gay in boarding school. That is right. Yeah. Yeah, and so. Um, uh, which is interesting because I mean, like, I don't think Tom Hardy is like particularly openly bi, but like he was more or less outed by the fact that he had like total gay thought pics and stuff and listed himself as bisexual on like MySpace before he'd become famous. Oh, MySpace. Yes, yes. Oh wow. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the, the Tom part, the Tom Hardy thought ass pics. Uh, but yes, no. He, he, uh, and I mean, he's a good-looking Tom, guy. Let's be honest here. Has Tom Hardy got cake? Is that what we're dealing oh, with? God. Yes, yes, and this, and this, and this is a film. I can this, tell these photos made an impression on Nate. Well, I mean, this is this is a film that's basically a vehicle for Tom Hardy to like look yeah. hot the entire time. But it is yeah. interesting to me that sort of that sort of contrast between I'm gonna like it's in your face that I'm gay, but there's no acknowledgement whatsoever that like he is sexually attracted to men. You'd almost mm. think if you didn't know anything about it that he was just telling people that to freak them out. If yeah, didn't know anything of. about the story. Because like equally though, the way that Reggie is portrayed, like there's no he's also very sexless. Like he has this relationship with Francis, but there's never like any It's like his first crush practically, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's it like is... never any like intimacy between them really of any kind. Um, it's mostly him kissing her to apologize after he's done something fucked up or his brother has done something fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that and in some ways I feel like that might be quite accurate. I feel like so many there's a, there is just a certain like sexlessness to British culture, which is like it's weird because I think we have we have this impression of British people as being really, really buttoned up about stuff. But I yeah, think it's not prudish, it's different. It's yeah, just it, like it, a it, kind it, of if anything, it's 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 probably a little more openly body. And we've talked about this on other other episodes, like with drugs, people are way more open about drug use here. Mm. Like Americans are prudish and Puritan about certain things. It's just that, like th- yeah. I think maybe the reason why British people have this reputation is because of the things that make us uncomfortable don't mm. make British people uncomfortable, but the things that make us that we're, we don't bat an eye at yeah. would make British people incredibly uncomfortable. Talking about your personal life with someone you don't really know 
Yeah. Is that's like British kryptonite. Whereas I, f- I feel like the most powerful like British guy energy, and particularly like geezer hard man energy, is to be like, I have a hot girlfriend because like that's like a Chad thing to do. But also, it's gay to get pussy. So like, I don't have sex with her. Yeah, I just that's I just gay. bully her on my my viral videos. Yeah, she just she just comes out with me, um, and then we we sleep in bed with like a big fucking Mormon bedsheet stretched <laughs> taut between us. You know. Well, I mean, I I think about it too that there's also the sort of reputation. I think you know, British guy goes to California and is shocked by the openness kind of thing. But mm. like, not all Americans are that overt like we are probably as a people more more so certainly more so than than the british and certainly more so than like upper class english people but i mean like british people you get them drunk or high enough they'll start telling you about their fucking life you know what i mean like Mm. it's 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 not it's not so buttoned up as to like necessitate the stereotype maybe it was more so in the Mm. olden days but i mean considering how many american servicemen just fucking like fathered children because they were just nailing people in alleyways and shit like it couldn't have been that buttoned up britain is a very deeply horny country that i feel like that is very true i mean you know if we went back to the story of my my mother's parents <laughs> two deeply horny people as it turned out well i mean my 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 mother's parents <gasps> you know american airman who's like 21 and like 16 year old schoolgirl in norfolk and mm. like they they got married like three weeks before my mom was born uh, problematic age gap there well um, i mean yeah. Well, but- Nate, when are you going to answer for your grandfather's uh, problematic age gap with your grandmother? <laughs> <laughs> Cancelled. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, like, well, I think I've probably mentioned this even on Britonology before, but like, there's like this weird tradition in my family that when you're like 16, 17, you get to find out that like your grandparents were having affairs your entire life and that like that guy <laughs> that you thought was granddad's friend, no, woman rather. <laughs> The guys were grandma's friends. If my grandparents had also been gay, that would have been <laughs> that would have been a hell of a story. Um, I just remember that my nan had this uh, this one guy who she was obviously like fucking or whatever when I was a kid um, called Dennis, who would sometimes be there like hanging out if she picked me up from school or something. And he, I remember being like, it's like one of my earliest memories. I was probably like five or something, like really young. And uh, I remember this guy just, all I really remember about him was he had a moustache and he absolutely stinked of Benson and Hedges. Like, this is a man who was, like, caning cigarettes all day long. And he tried to convince me that he'd been in the SAS. And even at five, I was like, I didn't even really know what the SAS was, but I'm like, nah. (laughs) Nah, bullshit. Five-year-old Milo doing a Stolen Valor video on this guy. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Um, I mean, um, I would say... There is definitely a reputation for stuff being more buttoned up here. Mm. And I think that the thing about it is, too, is, well, I don't really think a lot of Americans in however as much as people conceive of sort of swinging London associate that with with the craze or that kind of shit. Mm. That feels like kind of niche trivia. Like, I remember hearing about Ronnie Cray because of a lyric Mm. to a Blur song, the song Charmless Mm. Man, uh, when I was a teenager. But because I was a huge fucking Tiaboo, we know this. That's why I live in this yeah, stupid country. That's why we do this podcast. That's why we do this podcast. But yeah, uh, but I think that like it's ironic because the craze were huge Oasis guys. <laughs> really? No, <laughs> that would have been hilarious. <laughs> if, like from prison, they were writing fan letters to like fucking Liam Gallagher. <laughs> They're both wearing Adidas gazelles in prison. But um, people would probably more likely associate it with stuff like the Beatles. Or yeah, the Rolling yeah, yeah. Stones, or Pink Floyd, or the mm. sort of just psychedelic shit in general, you know, yeah. stuff like that. 
I mean, if you look at album sales, it might be the Beatles and the Monkees, and that's about it. You know <laughs> what I mean? But it's more like that sort of undercurrent of the sort of British gangster thing. There was never really. There have been times when people have there have been like call them crazes, if you will, where people have really gotten into mm. British stuff in America. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hugh Grant movies, Richard Curtis movies, mm. um, stuff like kind of cult things like Monty Python or yeah, um, yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, not even counting Austin Powers because obviously it's a parody parody of all of that. Yeah, but, classic. You know, or or things like TV adaptations of Jane Austen novels and things like that. I like, like to that. think that Austin Powers isn't a parody of James Bond. It's just about a different guy who works at the same office. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, he just has a very different take on the uh, procedure. Well, it's funny to me because I remember when the Austin Powers films came out and I was old enough to sort of like get the jokes being made mm. in the sense that I was like almost 13 when the first one came out. It's a horny age. But the thing about it is, though, is that what I didn't realize and from editing Kill James Bond, I've learned this, mm-hmm. is that everything in in Austin Powers is a specific spoof of shit in the early Bond films. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I never really, I still to this day, haven't seen that many of them, and I don't really fucking feel like I'm missing out on that much. I think um, I've seen almost all of them, but probably not every single one. I've seen... Oh my god, I have a funny Bond. Okay, so I've seen Goldeneye when it came out because that was huge. That was like a great good movie. All the Bros- all the Brosnan ones are great. I mean, The Die Another Day is a bit dubious, but it's still like an amusing film. I saw all of the Bond movies with Brosnan, and I saw um, what is it? I can't remember what the first one was with Daniel Craig. Casino Royale. Casino Royale. That's the mm. only one. Um, and then I've seen Moonraker because it's absurd. Oh yeah, fuck yeah. Fucking space marines fighting in outer space with lasers, and I've also seen A View to a Kill because it has. Duran Duran. Duran Duran singing the the song. It has James Caan as the villain. Like, yeah, it's wild. Yeah. However, <laughs> has the two like Amazonian twins yeah. as the henchmen, Good shit, along man. with Jaws. So when I was probably about seventeen, mm-hmm. you've met my friend Spencer, the Korean American yeah, guy. Yeah. We grew up together. He called me one day and he's like, "Dude, this is so stupid." But like. My mom and her friends from church have decided that I should like have a play date with other fucking Korean kids. And he's like, could you come over? And I was like, yeah, man. What's up? He's like, because it's so weird. I was like, yeah, what, what's up? And he's like, well, it's me. It's two girls who are like 12, who are like, obviously, like we were like 16 or 17. Yeah. He's like, and it's Jay. Jay Han was a drug dealer. Oh, okay. Uh, from, our, uh, from our hometown. Um, who, if I remember correctly, drove a BMW. He had bought with drug money. He told his parents he worked at a grocery store. He one right, time okay. he he, uh, he 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 one time bought his brother like a thousand dollars worth of Gundam toys just because he could. Uh, wow. He uh, he made great rap mixtapes that like my my buddy used to buy <laughs> that off that kid's him. brother Hussein Kazvani. Um, um, and so Jay was there, and uh, we came over, and like Jay was just just being himself and like reacting to the Bond film. Right, okay. And I just remember sitting with him that this is the one memory I have of whatever the film it was. I think it was uh, You Only Live Twice. Mm-hmm. Jay goes, you know, man, you know James Bond gotta have fucking A's, right? Isn't it like, You Only Live Twice the one with all the yellow face? Probably. Oh, the the Korean remember. family being like, which Bond film is the most racist about A's? Well, why would you make, why would you make your kids watch a 35-year-old Bond film? It's weird. Anyway, he goes, you know, you know, man, you know James gotta have A's or some shit, right? Because like, Look at this fucking guy, right? Like he's the girls are like, "Yo, James, wear late, wear latex," and he's like, "Nah, bitch, I'm hitting it raw tonight." <laughs> like, who the fuck is this guy? James L. Jones Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes, that's 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 my uh, that's my Bond story uh, that is completely off track from the craze. But the yeah. bigger point I was making was that this kind of current, I don't know, and I'm asking, 
you is th- that a big thing people associate with like 60s London? You know, cuz like if you talk about like 60s Las Vegas or 70s mm. Las Vegas in America, like the mob shit is undeniable. Yeah. And yeah, if you yeah. talk about New York in like well, any Chicago in prohibition or mm. New York like in around the same time, like so much of that kind of like Godfather shit or like Al Capone shit, you know what I mean? Like that yeah, yeah. that is a thing people associate with it. I think because London is so, and I would say that like probably, and New York probably has a bit the same thing where uh, because they're such massive global cities and there's so many things associated with them from a particular time, it doesn't stick. Whereas like with like Chicago or Vegas, it does because they're like smaller cities where there was kind of less stuff going on. And particularly Vegas, like it's just casinos. So whoever's running the casinos is very much going to be like the figure of the day. Um, And so, yeah, I get that. But yeah, I think in London, there was just so much other stuff going on. Like the craze are definitely like a cultural reference point Mm -hmm. in a lot of stuff, which I think is worth talking about. But yeah, I don't think it was. And I think broadly speaking in the 60s, the craze weren't something that like affected your life, particularly even if you lived in the East End. Like it was mostly, as I think like broadly speaking, the mafia was too. It was kind of like gangsters who were like doing shit with other gangsters. It's kind yeah. of like if you're not a criminal, you're not really. They involved might hit with you it. up for protection money, which you obviously your life was easier if you paid. Uh, the cops were corrupt and taking bribes from them and shit like that, but. It wasn't as if, you know, the filth. Yeah, you were, you were, you know, you weren't living in like an occupied territory. It's just, it was a thing that existed. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so as a result, like a lot of British people from that era and even like younger have this like really sort of romanticized vision of what the sort of like East End gangsters were like. I mean, particularly the craze because they're the most kind of pop culture y figures. But that kind of that whole thing about like, oh, they were good to their mum. Say what you like about Ronnie and Reggie. And because they did have all these people defending them in the in the media, like people like Barbara Windsor, who would just like casually mention that they were like mates with them, whatever. Um, I can remember when um, we used to go on holiday a lot to Spain when I was a kid um, and to a, a part of Spain where there were like lots of Brits. And there was, uh, but we used to go to a place like up in the mountains, but there was this restaurant up there uh, called the Valparaiso that I think was owned by some like old East End types. And it was always like, full of like east end gangsters who had like fled to spain that was like a big thing that people used to do i mean that was like what ronnie biggs and a lot of the train robbers they went to spain for a while i think ronnie biggs went to brazil for a bit like but that was a big thing like because you couldn't get extradited from spain at some point and then Mm -hmm. like the Mm -hmm. eu kind of uh (laughs) made some changes to that um but yeah so then there was a whole thing of like all the gangsters down the coast but again like sort of celebrities would like go and hang out at the valparaiso with these guys and it was always like a it was always a sort of romanticized cultural thing of like, well, they're criminals, but they're kind of like, they're the sort of like the honorable gentleman criminals. Um, it's a bit like the way we now, you know, if you compare Al Qaeda and ISIS, you know, <laughs> you sort of, you look back on Al Qaeda as the kind of gentleman terrorists, you know, uh, doing things in a refined way, looked after their mums. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, specifically the, they looked after their mums thing seems to be like a, like a, it's like a meme about the craze kind of yeah i've seen it yeah i feel as though i've seen it referenced (laughs) in stuff sort of like explaining away the fact that like they did murder people they themselves personally murdered people they didn't have lots of people killed because i feel like it's pretty much a given that america is just a much more violent country and so as a result like there were probably more mob killings but by and large mob killings were like confined to other mob people yeah there were you see this a lot in the film as well that like the the craze are sort of they're like they're most often they're just kind of like roughing people up a bit 
Uh, there's not a lot of murder. And usually when there is a murder, there's usually a bunch of people going, what the fuck have you done that for? Yeah, um, I, it's weird because someone explained this to me about Korean uh, gangsters and stuff because that, that's a famous sort of thing about Korea was that they had a lot of uh, sort of their equivalent to the Yakuza kind of shit. And it's sort of like, it's almost almost never happens that someone gets killed because if someone gets murdered, then it's like, well, then the cops feel obligated to put someone in prison for it. Yeah, Whereas yeah. like, if you just beat the shit out of people or like stab them, but non-fatally, then, you know, you uh, you get your point across, but it's not, uh, it's not really taking up too much time, you know, in the cops' attention. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it's just, it, I mean, in the same vein as like, if you watch a movie comparable let's say serpico or something like mm. that the whole point of serpico is like this one cop who dared to be like actually the nypd is corrupt as fuck and everyone's on yeah. the take from the mob that's ba- and then they got shot by his fellow cops like that's that's a true story oh, that was like surprise. in the 60s or the early 70s yeah. i think i think the film came out in the early 70s but the the, the, yeah. the story takes it's place al pacino isn't it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. and so there's <laughs> been a mob film that al pacino is not in i was gonna say um, jesus christ yeah um yeah, flashing back. I was going to say, I don't think he's in Casino. No. I think that's Robert De Niro, but one of the two and of them. He's not in uh he's not in Goodfellas, I don't think. No, but yeah. De Niro is, I think. Yeah, De Niro is, yeah. Ray Liotta is, yeah. Joe Pesci is. Joe Pesci, yeah, 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 yeah. Just just real um, real shit right there. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Damn, son, where'd you find this? Yeah. Um yeah, so I mean, that's kind of a a running thing through it is this sort of like slightly again just this vibe. I mean, we talk about this a lot, but how like Britain is kind of a low stakes country, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that even the sort of like the like the guy like I mean Jack the Hat like steals from them, and then like Reggie just punches him in the face, and he's like, "Don't do it again." Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, you feel like if that had happened, even in The Sopranos, like that guy would have absolutely have been murdered. Been murdered, yeah. Um, yeah, and so that there is that kind of it, which I think is like sort of a fair representation of it because I think a lot of like British criminals time immemorial, a lot of the focus is on like kind of you're paying the cops off, but there's only like so much you can get away with. So they're kind of trying to exist in this. Uh, yeah. So th- they've got this like kind of, yeah, vibe going. I know that during the, the uh, supposedly like much like the American Rob, they had a lot of hookups in construction. Yeah. And uh, a lot of... um. So basically in Britain, there weren't really any motorways until like the 1960s. I think they built the M1 in the late 50s, which was, hence the name, the first one. First one, yeah. uh, Which goes from like London to Leeds, basically. Um, And, uh, but in this period, like the kind of the late 50s, 60s, 70s was when they were building a lot of like the major arterial motorways. And uh, supposedly the Crays were like concreting bodies into the motorway, like uh, like the structures of flyovers and stuff, because like they knew this would just never be found. They're not going to fucking dismantle an arterial motorway to see if there's a body in there. Um, but yeah, supposedly that was what was going on. I don't know how true that is or whether that's like a rumor. Um, yeah, so they're in this thing with the, the American mob. Um, uh, Ronnie kills an associate of the Richardsons, George Cornell, uh, in a pub by just walking yeah, in and, and shooting, shooting him in the head. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, just cue various of the minor crane forces going, what the fuck have you done that for, Ron? Um, and then uh, he just like calmly goes around to his mum and dad's house and is like eating cake. And Reggie comes in and is like attempting to remonstrate with him, but like without like really revealing to their mother what they're talking about. Because they love their moms. Exactly, yeah. They don't want to upset them. And their mum's just busting around going, would you like a cup of tea? He's like, that would be lovely, thank you, mother. Um, And uh, yeah, so then they send, uh, he like sends a bunch of guys to like intimidate witnesses, like burn Ronnie's clothes or whatever. Like Ronnie is refusing to take it seriously. Um, 
And this is like one of the few parts where it's acknowledged that Ronnie actually fucks, where uh, she's, he's insists that he's staying over at his mother's and then his mum is like turns to Teddy and is like, would you like to stay with him? And he's like, oh, yes, that'd be lovely. Thank you. Um, Teddy is like an absolute twink. Um, yeah, there's also another one, too, who I, I, I can't remember. Uh, there's another blonder mm. guy as well. But yes, Teddy is just, yeah, is his sort of like twink on his arm the entire film. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, you wouldn't like to think about what, what Ronnie Cray does to Teddy. Uh, <laughs> Teddy looks like he's of a delicate disposition. Uh, Ronnie makes it very clear in the beginning that he is always a top and never a bottom. Mm. Um, there's the whole thing with the Tory Lord and them having like weird sex parties. Oh, yeah, because uh, he's trying to, to build this African city. So they're trying to get this Tory Lord booth, uh, a real guy who was really involved with the craze. The, 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 the most sexual thing that winds up happening yeah. is him, them screening a gay porn film at his flat and him like spanking a guy with a big wicker paddle yeah. uh but like once again everyone's wearing like baggy y fronts it's like the most like unsexual it's like a gay sex party but everyone just looks like the gym changing room <laughs> um and like not in a good way um, <laughs> yeah it's uh you know i saw the elton john biopic on a plane and they'd censored mm. all the sex scenes and uh yeah. Apparently that's the Can't uh, have people getting horny on the plane. Yeah, exactly. Apparently that's also when they released the film theatrically in Russia. They had to show that cut. Yeah, because yeah. They, they could- cut out all the drugs and all the sex. Because I remember hearing that because that film came out about the time I was leaving Russia. And uh, someone said, yeah, apparently they've cut out all the drugs and all the sex. And that's going to be a short fucking film about <laughs> <laughs> Elton John. <laughs> like, we just cut out the 1970s and 80s. Like, they're just gone. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, once again, I mean, this, this, this film's portrayal of Ronnie's sexuality made me think of that no sex allowed cut on the plane. Yeah, yeah, it was very, it, it was very odd. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's it, yeah, it's weird. They don't really try and develop anything with Teddy. They never even really make it explicit that they're like dating or whatever, other than the sort of like nods to the fact that they there's clearly something going on. Yeah, I mean, it's um, just sort of implied he's around a lot, and yeah. Ronnie hasn't killed him. Yeah, and he's a twink, so like it is, as Michael York would say, he's getting sucked off by a twink. <laughs> um, one can presume. Yeah. There's but you a, do never see this on screen. Yeah, so they're now under like an intense investigation because Ronnie's murdered this guy. Um, there's an amazing line in the Wikipedia summary here, which is, Reg's marriage with Francis crumbles due to his addiction to crime. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm simply addicted to crime. He's a professional criminal. He's not addicted to crime. It's just like what he does for a living. Bloody relapsed on crime again. Oh, what a 12-step program for crime. <laughs> <laughs> Last night, I was close to knocking off a butcher's. I had to call me sponsor. <laughs> AA for crime. Yeah. I found myself about to have gay sex in a park, and I had to, uh, had to remind myself of the steps. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, Phoning up people you've extorted money from and apologizing. Got to make amends one way or the other. I mean, it's, it, mm. it, yeah, so basically their, their relationship crumbles. Um, it's implied that Reggie is drinking more heavily uh he winds up uh beating up francis yeah she leaves him she goes to stay with her brother he decides to try to reconcile with her uh they agree to go to ibiza together uh i refuse to pronounce it the cockney way uh oh, and, yeah and uh Got a and then instead of going to ibiza with him she overdoses on pills and dies but she's the narrator yeah. of the film so we then learn this moment that she's narrating it from beyond the grave yeah which is, you know, that's the kind of high sex technology they have in films these days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, mm. um, and then he goes down for 
uh, murdering Jack the Hat. Yeah, after because Jack the Hat gets paid by Ronnie to murder their sort of like fixer accountant. lawyer accountant yeah. guy. The, the Nick the accountant of the Cray uh, situation. Uh, shout out to Nick the accountant. Yeah. Oh, hi, Nick. We, <laughs> we promise we will never do that. Yeah, no, that's, that is not on the cards. Uh, basically, they um, Ronnie pays Jack the Hat to shoot uh, the accountant, but he fails to kill him. Jack the Hat is like the comedy criminal who can never get anything right. So it's like very funny. He's that- the guy who's, when we tell you that he's punching people in the face, it's really just that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just he's always like, oh, I've balls it up again. And he's <laughs> punching me in the bloody mouth. And so um, then for some reason, Jack the Hat, maybe this is right at the moment that cocaine mm. was introduced to the UK. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> But his breeding population of cocaine was introduced into but, the UK. Unlike his usual hangdog apologetic self, he's just kind of like aggressively provocative with Reggie at a party uh, mm. when Reggie's like, what the fuck did you do that for? So Reggie uh, puts a gun to his head and dares him to say, after he makes fun of him for his wife dying, mm. dares him to say her name again. He does. He pulls the trigger. There's no bullets in the gun. So he grabs a knife from a cake and stabs him to death. Oh, I forgot my fucking bullets. And I will say that this is unlike normal movie stabbings. Like, this seems like a real psycho stabbing. He stabs him like a hundred times. Yeah. And it's and it's pretty, uh, it's like one of the, fi- I mean, I don't know. I think we're all pretty desensitized to like film violence at this mm-hmm. point. But it's one of the ones where you watch it and you're like, oh. Yeah, that looks that unpleasant. Look, that looks really unpleasant. Like I wouldn't want that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike the shootings in the film, which are mostly like, yeah, just like little of, like, oh yeah, there's an hole in my head. Oh, yeah. I've fallen over. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, he shoot when 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 Ronnie shoots that guy George in the pub. Yeah. George like smirks at him before falling over. Yeah, and it's just sort of like not really how it works. No. Um, but yeah <laughs> what i love is that there are so many incidents in the film of people getting murdered and then they're just being just like general just like ordinary people around who are like oh fucking hell <laughs> like, <laughs> just like they're just not reacting with like the requisite amount of terror like guy gets shot in the head in the pub and there's just like some guys like, oh for fuck's sake oh mate you gotta fucking a fucking mopping bucket yeah. they're Come all the way over from australia <laughs> now you're murdering someone oh there's been heaps of murders around here <laughs> this guy gets shot that is a truth <laughs> exactly <Ronnie>. anyway so <laughs> walking the- into a pub so oh, good morning ronnie <laughs> <laughs> yeah long story short they uh the movie's denouement is basically mm. he gets arrested reggie gets arrested uh, the cops come and break his door down and arrest him. It's said that he died in prison. Well, he died after compassionate release from prison, but yeah. the entire 33 years he was in prison before his death in 2000, he apparently carried the tickets on him for him yeah. and Francis to go to uh, Ibiza together because, once again, their romance is portrayed like it's his first crush or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Ronnie... Apparently they only knew each other for like two years. I'm reading in... Ronnie... Uh, Ronnie... It says gets sent back to prison, or rather, he's recertified as insane, mm. and he died in a facility in nineteen ninety five. Yeah, Broadmoor, which is like the big secure, high security mental hospital in in Britain. Is that sort of like that's like where like uh, that's where like all Myra the infamous, Hindley and- yeah, Myra Hindley was in there for a bit. I don't know if she stayed in there, but yeah, like lots of really famous British murderers have uh, been certified insane, isn't there? Um, uh, yeah, and of course, all um, all British gangsters always die before the age of 70 because all they do is smoke cigarettes and like eat processed meat like it's just endless like eating a fry up smoking a cigarette drinking a pint like there is um i don't know how any of them ever shat (laughs) like they consume no fiber at any point in the film um and i think that's an accurate portrayal 
So yeah, uh, the, basically the film ends implying I that... I don't uh, bottom because my, my arsehole seized up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Milo hacking and coughing because even though he doesn't smoke or drink pints or eat fry-ups with the same frequency as your garden variety British guy, he is still related to them genetically. I'm doing the accurate because you got it. When you listen to Dave Courtney, you can hear the years of cigarettes in the throat there. Yeah, it's a weird frog in the throat voice um, for a, yeah. a frog-like guy. You have um, to sort of like you have to have like a narrow, like a a thin but wide mouth shape to do the Dave <laughs> Courtney voice. Like you're sort of grimacing. That's the. Uh, but then again, thus ends the Tom Hardy hotness vehicle that is Legend. Yeah, looking looking pretty good as Reggie and more weird as Ronnie. Yeah, more psychotic as Ronnie. Yeah, it's quite it's quite an impressively done like thing of like having him play both parts, and he does look different as both of them, but also similar enough. Because actually, when you look at the two Kray twins, they did look really similar. Um, I've got a, I've got a, this picture here. Um, a deeply <laughs> this picture looks so much like an album cover of like an album Nate would send me. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Though to be fair, yeah, they do absolutely look way more, uh, just British. In mm. that photo, than than someone like Tom Hardy. Let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. In born in Haggerston, is it? Yeah, Haggerston, round the corner. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, quite. Yeah, um, fucking Paul Bettany was in this. Um, Paul Bettany was uh, Charlie Richardson. Hmm. Um, Not sure I know who that is. Uh, Charlie, what? Paul, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany. Yeah. Paul Bettany uh, was in uh, Margin Call, Wimbledon. Uh, else is oh he played the unabomber in the unabomber tv series um uh i don't know he's been in lots of stuff he's a british actor he's like uh yeah um and fucking christopher eccleston as the cop that's chasing him nipper reed apparently also a real guy um if i was like the feared cop i wouldn't want my nickname to be nipper it also feels like nipper's henchman is also sort of a a a similar twink figure who's always in the car there's like the little cop who has to wear a uniform Whereas Nipper's just big northern guy wearing a wearing a big tweed suit. Um, there was that weird, and I don't know how accurate this is, but there is that weird conception at the time of like the police almost being like a rival gang to the gangs, and like the way that they interact with each other is like sort of intimidation and stuff. Whereas I don't really know how um, how accurate that is. It is definitely true in America still. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hmm. as the we have American seen. police not behaving themselves. What a surprise. Um, and uh, Francis is played by Emily Browning, who I, don't, I can't remember what else I've seen her in, but she is hot. Yes, um, yes. If you're uh, if you're into, well, she's Australian. There you go. Yeah. See, exactly. You can, al- you, 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 you can always you can always suss oh. out an Australian everywhere Good you morning, go. Morning, Reggie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fun if they just made her do her like regular accent. Um, well, anyway, uh, Emily Browning, DM me, um, but. Uh, but that being said, Tom Hardy, DM Nate. <laughs> hey, you know what? You know what? We just want to ask what you're doing with all that cake. <laughs> exactly. Like, I just want the outtakes of those MySpace thought pictures that you posted in like 2003 or whenever the fuck. Yeah. It's just all the Tums, Usher, Hardy. They've all got cake. Yeah, you know, just fucking yams, yams yeah. left and right. <laughs> yams. So. <laughs> I suppose uh, having seen the film and talked a little bit about the legend, as it were, we should just sort of maybe end on what is the cultural significance of this kind of thing now? Because I feel like Guy Ritchie stuff 
movies like Layer Cake, mm. even some of the bullshit, weirder like TV streaming series is like yeah. like Gangs of London mm. are in many ways kind of uh, playing off of that, but just mm. making it more flashy or showy or updating it or that kind of a thing. It's a certain kind of like, I, I think it, uh, I mean, it does have that thing in movies where I think that like it's been like updated by people like Guy Ritchie into mm-hmm. a more stylized thing. Um, but there's also like there's there's just a certain it 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 inhabits a large part of the minds of geezers like guys who now live in Essex and like they own a roofing company but they just love the craze and it's very I think it's kind of it's a southern thing it's not I I don't really think you get it up north I think that's kind of a different pathology but uh yeah guys who just like they love like i remember like there's a fish and chip shop in harlow it's a really good fish and chip shop and it is run by essex guido italians um essex is the new jersey of the united kingdom you have to specify that and that's also where milo is from so yeah it's full of of italians it's got got the same but it's like very the british equivalent of a wall which is always mate um it's like yeah all the guys who like you know Left, left London because you know too ethnically diverse or whatever. Or they wanted a big fuck off house. The same as all the people who left New York and went mm-hmm, to New Jersey. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then now it's all like second generation left New York families, but have all this like romantic idea of themselves as like Brooklyn gangsters or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, fair. Essentially, but yeah, in this fish and chip shop, they redid it and they had this huge mural put on the wall, which contained loads of like it was like yeah, British, like, British references. Um, I I think I might have a photo of it somewhere, but it's amazing. It got it's got like a bulldog on there. It's got like Churchill. It's got like it's got the flag of the Royal Navy for some reason. But it's got the craze on there. It's kind of has one of the graphics on there, which is absolutely amazing, and sent me is uh a like a graphic of the UK and EU flags, like with a like photoshopped in rip like between them. So like half the flag is Britain, half the flag is EU, with uh fifty two percent and forty eight percent written on them. Brexit references. I just, uh, what would really make me laugh is if they had the Crage friends in a memorial, but they're like, a, like a, on a wall, but they also had a memorial to Lee Rigby and be like, no, see, brutal crime is only. Lee Rigby is on there. Oh, fuck's sake! <laughs> With like an angelic halo background. Oh, my fucking God. You're joking. <laughs> you just, I didn't remember, but then you said it. Oh, my fucking <laughs> God. I've lived here too long. <laughs> You're beginning to understand. No, uh, <laughs> let let the Britain flow through you. For the purposes of people who aren't familiar with the story, Lee Rigby was a, I believe he was a bandsman in the British Army who was murdered on the street yeah. in Woolwich by two self-declared ISIS guys who were like British Nigerians who had, yeah yeah uh, yeah they attacked him on the street and yeah they, it was it was pretty nasty they like beheaded, they beheaded him with him a machete or yeah, something yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, but it is now just like the, it is a co-celeb of the most insane people in this country absolutely yeah and uh, yeah whenever they want to bring up anything it's always Lee Rigby uh, yeah if you see Lee um, Rigby's face on something it's uh it's basically the person is so it's like warning this person is insane yeah they are insane and they hate immigrants uh so yeah. yes that the fact that he's in the same mural as the cray twins who probably would have beheaded someone if they hadn't had other ways of killing them uh mm. yeah hilarious yeah exactly britain um, <laughs> britain that's all it is would it be any sound but only if it was the nonce <laughs> right so anyway uh yeah. i don't really know if there's much else to go on i mean the the no. film the film's you know, yeah, like these, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a decent film. It's, it's worth a watch. If you're looking for a film to watch, it's, it's an entertaining film. Um, and like, yeah, like definitely these guys are like, 
they're absolutely real. And it's like interesting. I think this is an interesting follow up to the Dave Courtney episode in the sense of like Dave Courtney is like trying to pass him off as like part of that, pass himself off as part of that world. Um, and like, it's not to say that that world didn't exist, but rather that like it does have like a huge amount of hangers on. And those guys were long since in prison by the time that Dave Courtney got involved in his crime shit. Yeah, you know, yeah. He was doing crime shit in the very late 70s and early 80s. And then yeah, yeah. not too long after that, retired from crime shit. So mm-hmm. like the craze had been in prison at that point for 12, yeah. 13, 14 years. And there's lots of people who like, for example, someone who genuinely did work with the craze is uh, Lenny the Governor McLean, who died in like, he died shortly after Lockstock was made. He was Barry the Baptist in Lockstock. Um, but he wasn't a criminal. He was like a bare knuckle boxer and also a uh, doorman. So he worked in a lot of the craze clubs as a doorman. Um, but like, so there's lots of people like that who like weren't, they weren't exactly criminals, but they were like involved with that criminal world because they were like doormen or boxers or whatever. Because yeah. so much of the money was in unlicensed boxing and stuff like that. Um, or you have people like Vinnie Jones, who was a professional footballer and like a construction worker, but just, just a bit rough. He was just sort of this guy who was around yeah. people like that. He's yeah. fucking guy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just a story about Lenny the Governor McLean. There's an amazing interview, I think you could probably find it on YouTube, of Lenny the Governor McLean in like the late 90s, where he's like sat out the back of his house. It's like the most fucking British guy dream ever. He's got like a concrete statue of a bulldog next to him. This is like huge beer gut lying on a sun lounger with a mirror, like directing the sun onto himself, taking an interview from this BBC guy who's asking him about like his days working with the craze. And he's like, he said, oh, yeah, do the door at the uh, Acne Hippodrome and that. And then they're like, oh, right. And then they were like, Lenny, what was, what was the worst fight you ever got involved in on the door? And he's like, well, once these, uh, these about 14 blokes showed up and they, uh, I wasn't letting them in. So they set about me. He's like, thing is, I'm a nice guy. If you're a nice guy, I'm a nice guy. But if you want to be a tough guy, I'm a fucking animal. <laughs> <laughs> you can just see this like guy becoming more and more concerned. And he's like, yeah, so uh, they set about me. And, uh, you know, we got into it. And they're like, well, then what happened? And he's like, well, I knocked seven of them out. The other seven ran off. And then he's like, how did you knock seven of them out? And he's like, well, I had a stick. And he's like, a <laughs> stick? And he's like, yeah, we used to keep a stick behind the door in case things got a bit tasty. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, because you need to know. Exactly. Just got a big fucking pickaxe handle behind the door. That's the most British criminal thing ever is just having a fucking pickaxe handle as a weapon because no, I did. I'm actually surprised how much in this film there was of like portraying people using guns because like you look at stuff from the like the Great Train Robbery, which was like the biggest heist in Britain of that era. Like they were literally just using pickaxe handles. Um, and they got charged with murder because one of the guys, they hit him too hard with a pickaxe handle and he died. But I don't think they shot anyone. It was like kind of like, you can't imagine that happening in America, like a huge robbery like that. And they're just armed with like bits of wood. <laughs> but like it's the most powerful British energy. Not even a sharp piece of metal on the piece of wood, just pieces of wood. Yeah. I've got a geezer with a big piece of wood. And if you don't stop that train, he'll hit you with it. <laughs> they're like, oh, fair enough, mate. That is quite a large piece of wood. <laughs> God damn fuck's sake well you know what if you don't want to be hit in the head with a large piece of wood then please do not come within i think three or four degrees east or west of the greenwich meridian of the prime meridian yeah uh because this is a this is a country of geezers who will hit you with objects yeah and they take their inspiration from the cray twins yeah and uh don't come around white chapel or we'll hit you with a trash future pickaxe handle (laughs) all right son legally we will not do that Legally, we are not allowed to threaten you. That is a joke, not a threat. So anyway, 
once again, Milo, it's been a pleasure. As always. And uh, we will catch you next time. We love to learn about Britain. Bye-bye.